Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Teaching Kindness, the Bullies Be Gone podcast, with yours truly, Nate Webb, the founder of Bullies Be Gone. Here on BBG, I go into all things kindness, bringing in guests and experts from all wakes of life. And we are all here for one reason and one reason only, to help you and your kids get over bullies, get off social media, and love your lives. So come on in and learn how to live in a world where kindness is king. I'm your host, Nate Webb. Let's get to it. What is up, everybody? And welcome back. It is great to be at BBG. We all have trials, right? We all have challenges. We all have parts of our life that just bring us to our knees. And how we handle those hardships is going to help define who we will be for the rest of our lives. See, we have a choice. We can become a victim or we can become a victor and emerge victorious. Today, I talk with the collegiate and world wrestler, Ben Kerr. He's had his fair share of challenges growing up with what some might call a deformity, but turning it all around and becoming one of the best wrestlers that Utah has ever seen. This episode is going to motivate you guys so much, uh, but first, got to pay the bills. All right, everybody, we are back. So I am super excited for today's guest. This guy has literally been an idol of mine for over a decade. So Ben Kerr was born with Cruzen syndrome. It's a craniofacial anomaly. And as a young boy, the doctors told him he would live a different life. And that's definitely what has happened um, in the best ways possible. Uh, so Ben, he has risen above life's many challenges and is chosen to become a victor, not a victim. Ben is Utah Valley University's first ever NCAA Division I Wrestling All-American and has represented Team USA internationally. He's an international professional speaker and has told his story to millions around the globe in front of crowds up to 10,000 people. He truly inspires thousands with what he has to say. So super thankful for having him on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Welcome to the show. Dude, I am stoked to be here, man. I couldn't be more happy to 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 be on your podcast and for what you represent and what you're doing and this is awesome man there's a lot of people around the world that need these words that you're sharing so thanks for having me brother absolutely so first off how the heck are you man where are you coming at us from i live in pleasant grove utah and it's an adventure today because my wife's out of town she takes a girl's trip with her sisters so my sisters on my side, my family, and they're in Cancun. So oh. the last few days, I've been taking care of my three kids. I got two kids that are two years old. And uh, if you know that story of how we adopted them, they're five days apart. And then we adopted my oldest boy's youngest brother a year later. So at yeah. one point, we had three kids under 13 months. And <laughs> it's an adventure. it gives me so much gratitude for my wife of what she does every day. And uh I'm like a diaping changing ninja. Heck yeah. You know, I can change like seven diapers at the same time with two fingers, I think. <laughs> it is it is nuts. I have I just have a two-year-old and a five-month-old, but dude, I swear, like my two-year-old is wanting to be in the Olympic wrestling right now because <laughs> I can't keep him on his back long enough to change the flipping diaper. I have to like throw a leg over each arm and straddle his legs over my chest and pin him down and I feel you, man. Well, this means the world to me. I knew you way back in your early days at UVU. Um, it was like 2010 or 2009. Um, and we at my high school, San Juan High School down in Blinding, Utah, we had gone to do a wrestling camp over at UVU. 
Um, and I was kind of at the tail end of the heat of just being bullied and not feeling great about myself. Um, and then your coach talked for a second about the different wrestlers he had on the crew. Um, and then we got to watch you guys wrestle, just warm up for like 20 minutes. And I just watched you the whole time. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this guy, anyway, it gave me a lot of hope and a lot of, and a lot of courage just to keep on going. Like, you know, we're talking like freaking 11 years ago, man. So I've been a big fan. And when I saw, when I, um, I saw a video, um, that church made with you, uh, a little while ago and. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's him. I got to reach out to this guy. And so super excited about it. So um, tell us a little bit about how it was like growing up with this cruise on syndrome. Um, what is it, A, because nobody knows what the heck that is, <laughs> but I can't imagine it was easy. I mean, right from the start, doctors told you your life would be different. What kind of challenges did you face? First of all, I want to thank you for what you said, because when you messaged me and you kind of gave me the background story about being at the wrestling camp and seeing me and being impacted, the world never knows where impact and influence comes and when it comes. And that's the amazing thing, right? We all are acting and it's very individual. Oftentimes the way we act, it's person to person. We're communicating person to person. But yet the world around us in the peripheral sense sees and feels and reacts upon that action. Mm. And so I think oftentimes we do or we strive to do the harder thing, the victor mentality, the victor lifestyle, instead of acting like a victim, which is very much easier. It's selfish. But we wonder who's impacted, right? We're like, oh, I want to strive to do the better thing. And to answer your question, um, Cruzon syndrome really gave me that opportunity really early on. Was I going to be a victor or a victim because of doctors would come to my parents and say, Hey, your kid, you're like, your boy's going to be different. And my mom's like, of course he's going to be different. You know, right. like they, they're so proud of you. You come out of the womb and you're Superman. And I think a lot of parents feel that way. And then when disabilities and diseases or whatever gets thrown in the way, it's a boom, it's a shock to the heart. And for my parents, it was like, what the freak is Cruzon syndrome? You know, it sounds like crouton, right. but it's, it's just like, well, what is that? And it's, it's an anomaly, meaning it's super rare. And the mid part of my face would grow at a much different speed. And so I'd have uh, massive um, difficulties with eating and sleeping and breathing. As you can imagine, you know, not, you know, having a massive underbite and you know I could at times I could put two fingers in my mouth bite down and not touch my fingers it was such a divide from the front to the back of my bottom teeth and top teeth wow and so I remember having the daily activities being some bit of a struggle like bite uh, going I, I would be afraid of going to school and sitting across because I don't know about you, but for me, we sat on the same table right across, like six inches across the table from somebody else's tray, you know? Right, right. And they're eating right in front of you. And you would line up with your buddies or alphabetically, but across the table, you don't know who you're going to sit next to. And right. so I remember sitting next to these like cute girls and being so shy to eat because when I would bite down on the sandwich, it would never break. 
as you can imagine, your top jaw and your bottom jaw lower, and it just like bends the bread and causes just like soggy saliva to be put on your bread. Mm. And so everything I had to eat was taken apart by my fingers in a bite-sized amount. Well, that's kind of hard when like you have something that's just not really coming apart. If, if the silverware wasn't too too great in elementary is plastic where <laughs> you try to yeah. cut the steak or you try right. to cut the the i don't know whatever they gave you stromboli <laughs> yeah exactly and you're like well how do you do this and when it's not cutting apart with your utensils that are breaking in half some days you just went to recess a little bit early and you just didn't eat because wow. of the embarrassment of what that would look like i remember um eating my first piece of steak, true steak, and swallowing it when I was about 20, 21 years old. And I say that, it's about 20. And I say that because I say swallow it because I would chew the steak when I was younger with a massive underbite. And and your sharpest teeth are the ones in front. And that's what would really um, rip apart the meat to make it bite size. Swallow, but I would chew the meat until the flavor was gone. And then I would have to spit it out in a napkin because I, I mean, I, it would, I would choke on it. So I would do that at school sometimes and just try to hide the, hide the soggy like napkin ball so I could throw it away. So people wouldn't get disgusted, but yet I wanted to have that savor. So I tell my, I tell people I was like part vegetarian my entire life <laughs> and, and uh, because I didn't swallow the meat, but, um, I tell you what, man, I wish the physical difficulties of healing from the surgeries where they would cut my head open ear to ear and where I'd have my mouth wired shut. I'd have, you know, liquid macaroni and cheese and pizza and, stuff like that blended up for me so I could gain weight. Um, I wish that was the toughest, Mm. but it was the mental and emotional side that would be the hardest for me. Yeah. Let's dive a little bit into that. Um, So what were some of those, some of those, some of those challenges you said that the mental emotional aspects that were a lot harder. And that's, that is, I mean, for me as an outsider hearing that, that's like, woof. I mean, I can't imagine growing through surgeries to trying to open up my airway and fix up my bite so that I can eat sizable portions and stuff like that. Um, that sounds like it'd be pretty, pretty flipping tough. So what are these, what, what was the mental aspect like? So the mental aspect was, was just understanding, um, first of all, that, that it was okay that I looked different and, um, and kids would try to come up and like create a solution about why I look different that, uh, and I'd make up stories about, you know, surfing with my uncle in Hawaii and being on his board and a shark would come up and, and bite the board and he would bite my head. And, and that's why I had a scar when I wanted a buzz and everyone could see my scar from ear to ear. And from there on, they called me shark bite, you know? Really? Oh. Yeah, that was the joke, but it was, it was understanding that at Ben, like you don't have to make up those stories to be okay, to be welcomed, to be included. 
and to be quote unquote, what is cool. I would walk down the hallways and, and I don't know, maybe other people think of this too, I would imagine, because not I, mean, I speak everywhere and, and, and it's a huge blessing. But as I speak, I, I am understanding now more than ever, kids are wanting to be someone else sometimes. Yeah. Wanting to be the, for example, the tall, dark and handsome guy that I wanted to be when I was younger. Well, I'm five, three and, and I, you know, I don't have naturally dark hair and, and it's just different, right? I wanted to be Brandon. I wanted to be Bobby. I wanted to be Timothy 2.0, but to be Ben care me and my truest, most potential form for a long time, wasn't enough. And I remember one time walking down the hall, this was in like fourth grade and there was a kid in sixth grade and he was the oldest in the school. And I remember my older brother was his age, but he had, my brother had transferred schools and, uh, and I was kind of feeling alone and we were going in that awkward, awkward moment to the lunchroom where I would have to sit next and across to people that would have to see me eat. And as I was standing in line, I'm just freaking hungry, you know, and just standing in line, folding your arms or whatever. And from across the, the cafeteria, this kid would get up. I remember he looked like the, he looked like the bully kid on Toy Story, you know, with the spiky, <laughs> yeah, exactly with the spiky hair. And I just remember him and he was so much bigger than me, not just because I was sh- shorter and smaller at that age, but. I mean, I probably weighed 50 pounds, but, but I was just two years younger too. And the maturity that happens between fourth and sixth grade is, is extensive. And he stands up and he points at me as I'm waiting in line. So at the beginning of the lunch hour, he points at me and says, everybody, look at flat face. Everybody Uh-oh. look at flat face. Uh-uh. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, but I guess because my, my mid jaw didn't grow at the same speed, I, I would have a little bit more of a flat indention in the middle of my face instead of having my cheekbones come out or whatever. And he would call me flat face. And as I stood in that line around my peers with kids who were intimidated by the, the, the kids who were two years older than them, the lunchroom would erupt in, in roaring laughter and, and mocking. And some kids would be defense, you know, they'd, they'd try to defend me, but how do you defend against a kid who is kind of running the school with um, that type of behavior two years older than you? And, and that day, I remember my, my hunger just f- left, escaped me, and I just wish I could run home. And Oh, um, that was a lonely time. And, and so when I say it, it wasn't the physical things that were, were the most difficult, um, it was true because I mean, the wires would come off my teeth eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, the swollen eyes where I couldn't open them would, would heal mm-hmm. the trach that would be stuck in my throat. Um, that would help me breathe would come out and my, my, my scars would heal and my stitches would, would come shut. You know, they would, they would heal and get pulled out. The scars in my head, my, my would, would, would 
be fine and they'd be tough and they'd be callous and my hair would grow back. But those feelings of inadequacy amongst my peers who would be with me for decades into the future in school, never forget those moments. No. And even if they would forget them, I would, I would hold on to them like they were yesterday uh, for, for many years. Man. So at what point during all of this hardship, all of this bullying, all of this name calling, all this hardship, at what point did you find wrestling? Cause you got pretty flipping good at it. For those who don't know, there's a guy named Henry Cejudo, who is an Olympian champion. The guy took gold medal and Ben over here went into overtime with Henry and lost on a technicality. Like, like for real is an old rule. that's not, not the same anymore. Um, but so you got really good at wrestling. At what point did you find wrestling in all of this? Well, um, I found wrestling in, um, in elementary, near the latter part of my elementary years. And I had been begging my parents to play football because to me, I'm like, I can put on a helmet and nobody could see me. Like, <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, they just see a number and, and, and I could run around just like all the other guys. That would be amazing. Um, but my uncles wrestled, uh, my dad wrestled, um, and, and that was just kind of in, in our blood. But as I was begging my parents for like five years to play football, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me, you know, bang heads after I just healed, you know, right. from but eventually I, be, I was healed that my, my, you know, one of my surgeries was at five years old and I wouldn't have one till you know, a number of years later. So there was a healing period where I could jump in that sport. And I started and I remember just sucking, like totally sucking. I, I remember warming up and like psyching myself out and knowing that I had no helmet. Uh, people in the stands would see me. And I mean, wrestling, you're wearing like long underwear, basically, and they call it a singlet, <laughs> you know. And so it's just like you're very you're out there. And, uh, you know, from about sixth grade on, I really jumped into the sport and the way mm. I was built and, and the control I had. Like, I loved that. I didn't have control over a lot of things. And eventually in life, I, I realized to not worry about that and not cast my um, importance and significance upon what others think and what others can control. But in wrestling, I could control that. I can control when my coach asked me to do 100 push-ups, that 100 was a minimum. I could control that when the, the, the thing was asked to do five laps around the track, that I knew that on the podium, there was just one spot at the top, not 10. This was not, I mean, I knew that everybody else around me, if they wanted to be the top of the podium too, which was the popular answer, <laughs> people would do the, un, you know, people would do the popular result and do the five laps around the track, do the hundred pushups. But I knew, guess what? If I wanted to be the top of the podium, I better freaking do more. <laughs> yeah. And so as I do clinics around the country and wrestling and speech, speaking engagements, I do similar stuff. Hey, everyone do 10 pushups. And isn't it interesting that when, 
everyone gets done, they get up and go like, yeah, and they have a little bit of sweat and they feel all swole. And then I say, how many of you guys did 10 push-ups?" And everyone's like, yeah, you know, 90% of the room raises their hand and the other 5% did eight push-ups, and, and the other 5% did 11, did 12 push-ups. But I ask, how many of you did 10? And everyone's like, yeah. And I, and I ask, why did you do 10? And you're like, because you told us, yeah. And if so happy with doing the minimum. And I, I, I put it out there. I'm like, gentlemen, like my friends, women, whoever I'm speaking to, why are you happy with doing what was asked? Mm. Are the people on the top of the podium in life, not just in wrestling, are they doing what's asked? Mm -hmm. And, and I, would, I would beg to say, no, absolutely not. And it's interesting because by the end of that clinic or by that moment, guess what? Um, I, I have to tell the people to stop doing push-ups because when I ask to do 10, they're at like 30. And that mentality change shifts right and uh, that was a lifestyle change for me when i understand that wrestling taught me those type of principles yeah oh man look at you now like uh like such a powerhouse guy from being the first guy at uvu to be all american uh wrestling for team usa um going head to head with some of the best in the world i mean you literally went the distance and i looked up to you so much gosh still do and I found wrestling during some of my darkest moments and seeing you and your achievements gave me courage. And, and so I was always really thankful for people like you. So when you go speaking, you often talk about this victor versus victim mentality. Um, we've been talking about how that kind of impacted your life growing up. When did you realize that you could be a victor and not a victim to your circumstance? When did you realize, Hey, I got it. I don't have to be a victim to all this. I can choose to rise above it. Was there a specific defining moment or a, a period of life where you decided to be a victor? Yeah, I had many of those aha moments, but there was one, uh, one moment that, that stuck out and I had the opportunity to tell the story quite a bit. And every time I tell it, it still kind of hits home for me. Um, we went to a market, me and my buddy and, and, and my buddy's mom, and she coaxed us into going with her to the supermarket to help her get groceries if, we, if she would give us chocolate at the end, right? <laughs> and, and it was like the, the incentive for the kids, you know? But I tell you what, as we're checking out and we have a, uh, just a cart full of groceries, um, there was just tons of people in line. It was kind of rush hour after school. And um, there was no automatic checkout back then. So you have to wait in line to buy groceries if you can imagine. But uh, we're waiting in line and there's an adult in front of us and two kids and the two kids were about my age, a little boy and a little girl. And, um, and the adult was paying and I remember him looking at me and I could just feel the, the awkward glance and probably nobody felt that because they'd never been in that position. But if you've been stared at, looked at and, um, bullied, you know, that, right. Yes. You know, yep. that feeling yeah. uh, before it ever happens very well. Yep. 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 And, and you know, when your hair stand, stand up on the back of your neck 
before words are ever expressed what's about to come My spidey senses are tingling <laughs> <laughs> yep yep and uh and only only then do i wish i had the spidey power to just blast webs over everybody you know yeah right but in elementary you shouldn't have to feel that feeling no. um for something you can't control but as i was sitting there in the supermarket the to tell this very quickly, the gentleman looked at me, grabbed his two kids and, and verbally antagonized me for looking different, mocked my friend for having a, uh, for hanging out with someone that looks like me. And then before he left, he grabbed the kids, shut, shoved him behind them as if he was staying away and keeping them away from an ugly monster mm. and said, let's get out of here before um, you get close to him, don't touch him because he might be contagious. Oh my God. And um, as we went home, as my friend's mom dropped me off, I ran inside to my parents' bathroom, clapped against a wall and tried to figure out a way to physically take my face off. My mom broke in and, um, and just hugged on me and uh, cried with me. And she, she, uh, she told me that moment, Ben, um, you're going to go through these things again. She spoke truth to me. Um, she gave me realistic expectations and then, and then gave me an opportunity to choose. She's like, Ben, this is going to happen again. So what are you going to do? Are you going to hug toilets and bathrooms your whole life? Like a victim? like someone who is doesn't have an abundant mentality, someone who's scarcity, someone who's selfish, because maybe God has given you this difference to be different. Oof. And I just sat there and I'm like, mom, you don't understand. If that t-shirt that he was making fun of me for was the reason why I was there, I would have ripped it into a thousand pieces. And my mom then corrected me and she says, Ben, you're a victor, you're a champion, and you need to start acting like it. And so in that moment with a prepubescent voice, I repeated kind of after her that I was a force for good, that I, was a, that I could be a hero in my own eyes, in other people's eyes, if I lived ab abnormal. Mm -hmm. If I was gonna be put out there as being abnormal and different, then why not freaking shine a light on that and do that? Oof normal live different and i realized in that moment that normality sucks that being a robot in the line of of mediocrity sucks that being somebody means something that living different is not just okay but it's needed it's deserved and it's wanted in the world and that people decide that they're just not enough but there's something that god creates us to be somebody and that we're created in his, in, in, in his hands uh, under the biggest artistry, you know, under the biggest artist tapestry that he could ever put out there to be different for a reason. And so I, I started accepting who I was. And you know what? I was okay. Mm. I wasn't just okay. I was happy with being Ben Care 1.0. And that being me meant something. I would get courage. I would get confidence. And for some reason, after that became who I began to be, girls starting to like want to hang out with me. 
they wanted to be me back in the day there was no texting so they would write me little notes and pass them to me in the right hall, yeah right and the messaging would be it would start happening hand to hand and hey you're so cute and i'm like what and at the beginning i didn't believe it why because i didn't see that in myself and so I started looking myself in the mirror instead of saying the negative things and makeup can't do anything for you, Ben. It was holy cow, Ben. And the incantations and the positive self-talk was, you know what, Ben, you're the voice. You're a force for good. You're a pillar of strength, a pillar of light. You're a, you're a force to be reckoned with. And it was those moments in the early mornings before school that would be the achievement of that daily conversion that would literally keep me on this earth. It would keep my decision um, to stay here and, and instead of checking out in those moments of pain. Wow. That is amazing. I think there's so many kids out there that are hurting, uh, especially this year. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a school counselor um, over here in Tooele. And just in my caseload alone, I know of at least five kids that have tried to end their life this year. And we've had two kids in our school district end up taking their lives this year because they felt that there was no other way out. And so those here listening, I want you to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not the sun, it's you. You are the light. And I thank you, Ben, for letting us know that. Um, this Your story is so inspiring. So how does one go about changing that mindset? If we feel like we've been stuck as a victim lately, how can we start to make that pivot to treat ourselves like a victor? It's simple self-love, brother. It's the ability to communicate that to yourself and not be ashamed. You know, so often when I first started the self-love project and this um uh, this process, because that's exactly what it is. It's a journey. It's a daily journey to reach that tunnel at the, you know, that light. And to, like you said, to be that light, it's not the sun. Um, you are that light. It's, uh, it's when you look in the mirror in the morning, what can you convincingly say to you where it's not just well-received, but it's like welcomed, it's accepted. It's, it's, it's known. And uh, when you tell yourself, Ben, you are beautiful, and your response to yourself is, thank you, I know I am. You know, it's not, oh, are you serious? Because those inner voices, that, that devil and that, that uh, angel on your shoulder, once that is, is, those are gone, and it's just you, and it's pure, yeah. and it's light. And it's welcoming and it's peaceful and it's uh mm. and, and and it's understanding. Um, and you understand that when you have these, when you have these times of struggle, that it's just another opportunity for you to learn true empathy. That if someone comes to you with their pain and their struggle, like they do with you all the time in school, my friend, that you can sit there in your seat. And you can feel that understanding. No, everyone in life does not have Cruzon syndrome. Everyone in life doesn't have cauliflower ear from fighting and, and <laughs> right. They don't understand that. But what I do understand in them is pain. I understand being cornered with the choice of being a victor and a victim. 
Uh to choose selfishness or selflessness to choose abundancy or 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 scarcity and so here's my here's my here is my invitation that in the morning when you get up there's a three-second opportunity a three-second choice when you're hitting your alarm Mm -hmm. how you're going to wake up that day yeah and it's not something that we can always do ourselves so i i tell you this is how i do it and my, I, I just went to, we went to the NCAA wrestling championships and we we're with all my brothers. We've done it for 20 years in a row. And, and uh, my wake up was this, I get up and my brother saw it and they're like, wow, that's, that's interesting. I got up, I got my phone and I put it on YouTube and it's easy because I've programmed this and uh, in a good book called atomic habits. Um, it's called the habit stacking. Now, one habit I have is I get out of bed. Second habit I have is I put on YouTube. And this, the third habit comes automatic because I've already subscribed to these channels. So what automatically populates is the YouTube channels that I've subscribed to. And it just so happens that those subscriptions are all positive subscriptions. And those titles in those videos are like, win the day, arise with confidence you know, be persistent or whatever the video is. And all I have to do is push play. Mm. And that mentality and momentum comes from somebody else who's already chosen that moment. And for you guys right now, listening, it may be this podcast that you just have to get on, press whatever this is on iTunes, you know, whatever it is. And you all just have to push play. And you have to listen to my friend here. You have to listen to me. And then we are those moments. We are that process that helps you. And then eventually you become that voice. I love that. You become that voice for somebody else. It wasn't just a week and a half ago, my friend, that I got a text message after I spoke to school. I spoke four times in one day. It was crazy. You don't know who was impacted. And you sign the foreheads of the kids. You sign the forearms. You sign the T-shirts and the pieces of paper but those get ripped up and lost and washed off. But I got a text from his counselor and it said, Hey Ben, just know that when you left school the other day, it made an impact. There was one kid that had told his friend that he was going to end his life. Mm. And after those assemblies, he, uh, he talked with that friend again and he chose to live and he chose to be him 1.0. He chose to be him in confidence and in all power and he's come to school with his head up now so those Uh, are the things that allow me to be up and allow me to keep going and allow me to 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 try to be the best i possibly can be i love that guys if you find yourself being a victim if you find yourself to being a victim to your circumstances love yourself simple self-love to let yourself know that you are a victor fill your mind and your ears with more positivity Love yourself louder than the internet can hate you. Um, And you'll find just how amazing that you are. Um, I love all this. We could talk for freaking hours, um, but alas, we cannot. (laughs) (laughs) So how can people find you? See what you're up to, man. Shameless plug time. Nate the Great, my man. Dude, uh, I would just love to get in touch with anybody. I mean, 
I'm on social media, Ben Care, last name K-J-A-R, but you say it Care like Care Bear. So Ben, K-J-A-R, you know what? I've been on Facebook for a long time. Just started not too long ago on Instagram. I'm trying to understand this world of TikTok. So I got on TikTok. That, that's an interesting one. Um, but uh, social media and then email. Ben Care, B-E-N-K-J-A-R at Yahoo. Uh, we, I don't have a website. I should probably put one together here <laughs> in the next month or so. But guys, I have an open ear and an open heart for you and uh, would love to hear your story and, and be impacted by you. There you go. And all that will be in the um, podcast description. So go hit him up, go follow him, go talk to him. Ben's an awesome guy. Um, and we really appreciate him being here. And if you want your daily dose of positivity, make sure to go follow me at bulliesbe.gone on Instagram. Um, and if you want me to go speak at your school, just email me. Um, and all that's going to be in the podcast description as well. And always remember, you are wonderful, you are worthy, and you are worth it. Go home and give your kids an eight-second hug, and we'll see you on the next one.